Pastor Neil and Christine are director of worship are away for this weekend, enjoying some friend time down in Texas, and so I get to bring you the word today. It's a privilege and opportunity to do so. We began into a series uh, looking at the book of Luke. Uh, Luke was not uh, one of the original apostles of Jesus, but he was a Christ follower, and uh, he devoted much of his life to following after Christ. He is believed to be alongside the Apostle Paul in his missionary journeys, and most likely the author of the book of Acts. And uh, Luke was most likely also a physician, very detail-oriented, and so we see that a lot in his writing. Uh, many details, uh, things that we would wonder, why did you even need to put that in there? But uh, he gives us a lot of details, including in the Nativity narrative, we don't get a lot of information about the birth of Jesus outside of a little bit through Matthew, and neither Mark or John even reference uh, the birth of Christ. And so we draw a lot of our information from his writings. And uh, in Luke, especially towards the beginning, we see a lot of words of how people were amazed and this thing was amazing. And so we're looking at this series of the Gospel of Amazement. Our hope is that you are spending time uh, in the book of Luke, reading it every day, especially during our Christmas season. You can do that through our Christmas devotions, but really encourage you over the next several months to, to read and roll over and over the book of Luke, and so that you too would be amazed as much as these people were amazed. Not only what God had done in the past, but what God wants to do in you as well to be amazed. And so we're continuing in our uh, story, our narrative this morning. We're going to be looking at the meeting of the mothers. Uh, last week we saw the angelic announcements. There was the angel Gabriel who visited Zechariah, who was a priest in the temple, and revealed to him that he and his wife were going to have a son. Well, they were very old in age. And some believe that they were at least 60 years old, most likely maybe into their 80s. And so you can see the amazement that this was having, but also the doubt that Zechariah had, uh, wondering that perhaps God called the wrong number. Have you ever wondered that? God gives you something and you said, uh, not me. I just happened to walk in front of someone you were probably supposed to talk to. And uh, so we're looking around wondering whether it's actually us that God's talking to. And so because of that doubt, Zachariah's tongue, he was not, uh, not able to speak. And so he had to go home and communicate with his wife. You and me are supposed to have a baby. And I don't know how you communicate those things with your wife uh, when you can't speak. But they were, he had to communicate those things and they were to give birth to a son, John, who would be John the Baptist, who prepare the way for the nation of Israel uh, for the coming Messiah. Well, uh, the angel also appeared to a woman uh, pretty much in the middle of nowhere. Uh, her name was Mary, and God had found favor upon her, and she was betrothed to a man named Joseph. They were engaged but legally bound together, and uh, the angel told her that she was going to have a baby, and she says, how can that be? And uh, it's because you're going to uh, bear the Son of God. And so that was an amazing pregnancy as well. Imagine her 
going to Joseph and communicating that information. And uh, so Joseph had to figure out what he was going to do about the whole situation, whether he could just leave her before they were really in together in this relationship, whether he really believed her or not. And uh, we pick up some of those details from Matthew, but here in Luke, uh, we don't get the details of what, uh, what that conversation was with Joseph. But we want to pick up our narrative in Luke chapter 1. So if you have a Bible, uh, or maybe you're using one of those journals, you're going to be in Luke chapter 1. We're going to read verses 39 through 56. And then I want to pull out a few observations of mine about what is communicating here. We also learned earlier that the angel had told Mary that her relative Elizabeth was also expecting a son, and she was six months along in her pregnancy. And so Mary heard this news, and I'm sure as a relative, she understood the long journey that Elizabeth had of not being able to have a child. And this pretty much was one of the main purposes of women in that time. And so not being able to fulfill your purpose brought some disgrace upon her as a family, and her as a woman, and so uh, Mary would have understood a little bit of this, um, although Mary was most likely around the age of 14 to 16 years old, so we're not sure how much she would have understood, but here in verse 39, we pick up the narrative. In those days, Mary set out and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judah, where she entered Zechariah's house, and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped inside her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. She then exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped for joy inside of me. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill what was spoken to her. And Mary said, My soul praises the greatness of the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed because the mighty one has done great things for me and his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts, he has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He had satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. And Mary stayed with her about three months then she returned to her home. So I think in this meeting of the mothers of Mary and Elizabeth coming together, 
we clearly see that both of these women understood that something significant was happening. And that significance was that salvation was here. That salvation was here. And I think when we look at this, we can see some characteristics of this salvation that they understood, perhaps not fully, but they certainly understood it in some sense. And the first is that they understood that this salvation was from God. It was God who initiated, it was God who orchestrated, it was God who was working out all of the details to bring salvation. It's God who worked out the details to have this, all of this happen for them to be involved in this story since the beginning, the foundations of the world. God was not looking at history and just wondering, is now a good time to jump in? Is now a good time to go? He already had it all worked out. All of the details worked out. He chose Zachariah and Elizabeth. He chose Mary and Joseph to be a part of this plan. God had initiated it. We see that it's from God's arm, God's strong arm. The mighty one has done this great deed. Now, God doesn't have an arm, right? You realize that? God doesn't have an arm. He's a spirit, but it's called an anthropomorphism. That's a big word for a Sunday morning. But an anthropomorphism is a human characteristic or human imagery that's placed on a non-human object. And this refers back to the Old Testament in which God would come with his mighty strong arm and he would rescue Israel from their enemies. And Mary is proclaiming that the mighty one, the God of the Old Testament, who loved the nation of Israel, who loved its people, would come down and finally rescue the people from their enemy. Elizabeth proclaims this by saying, My Lord, how is it that the mother of my Lord has come to me? She understood that it was God who was doing this great thing. She was filled with the Holy Spirit and was able to proclaim this. We had the Son of God in Mary. That's amazing. It's fascinating. It's intriguing. It's confusing. But here is God, 100% God in the flesh, 100% man. And exactly that's what needed to happen in order for salvation to come. This wasn't a demigod of some fairy tale, a mythological understanding. This was reality of 100% God and 100% man. There had to be the shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sins. God could not do that. There had to be a human sacrifice. There had to be the shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sins. But there also had to be a pure, holy, unspotted sacrifice. And that could not be a human. So we are stained with sin. It's our sin that keeps us separated from God. It's our sin that causes us to do the things that we don't want to do and to not do the things that we want to do. We are imperfect. 
We cannot make our way to God. And so it was God that had to make his way towards us. And as much as Mary would look and know that God was going to redeem Israel, and he was going to come down and do something mighty for Israel, Mary was just not looking for this Savior to come and provide some political restoration. But Mary knew that God was coming to save them from themselves, from their own sin. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were filled with the Son of God. And what's amazing is that Holy Spirit that filled Elizabeth, that could cry out, My Lord! And the same Son of God that filled Mary that could cry out, My Lord and my Savior, is the same Holy Spirit that lives within every person who calls on the name of Jesus, who becomes a follower of Jesus Christ. So if you've accepted the fact that you are a sinner in need of a Savior, that Jesus was that Savior, and you've asked Him to come into your life, forgive you of your sins, and follow after Him, that same Holy Spirit that was there at the moment of Elizabeth lives inside of you. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3, that no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. God is doing a work in you and in this world. It's from God. We'll also see that salvation is all-encompassing, all-encompassing. Mary says that it's for generation to generation. It's reaching as far as back from Abraham to his descendants, to his ancestors, to the nation of Israel. And I don't think Mary fully understood how all-encompassing this would be, but yet the angel proclaimed to Mary earlier in verse 33 that his kingdom would have no end. It wasn't just for her. It wasn't just for her family. It wasn't just for the nation of Israel. It would be for the entire world. It's all-encompassing. And that God uses all sorts of people to convey his message. Here's Elizabeth, well along in years, perhaps in her 80s, living a life of disgrace, wondering whether God would answer her prayers for what she wanted to do in life. And she maybe came to a point where she realized that boat has sailed. That's no longer an option. I have no more legacy to leave behind. And so I'm just going to be a priest's wife who can pray. But then God decides, I can still use you. You can still be used for me. And then she, God also looks at this young woman, 14 or 16 years old, who may be thinking that I haven't experienced much of life. What could God do with me? I'm still trying to figure out who I am. And God reaches down and wants to use me. It's all-encompassing. God uses us no matter our backgrounds. No matter if we're like Elizabeth and Zechariah who worked in the temple and was religious, righteous, reading God's word. Or whether we seem to be far away from God. 
Mary and Joseph living in Nazareth was not close to Jerusalem. They were righteous people. They were God-fearing people. They followed after God. And yet they didn't have the same position or prestige or power as other people. And we may question whether God can use us because we don't have the skills or the abilities or the knowledge or the experience. But it's all-encompassing. God levels the playing field. It says that he topples the mighty and exalts the lowly. God levels the playing field. He takes the wise and humbles them with his foolishness. He takes the strong and humbles them with his weakness. Jesus is available for everyone, and God wants to use everyone. So salvation is from God. It's also all-encompassing, and it's also personal. It's personal. Mary, or Elizabeth, you know, she looks and says, how can this happen to me? How can this happen to me that my Lord would come and visit me? And Mary, in the beginning of her song, her, she says, my soul praises the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. It's a personal thing. It's a personal thing. Now, what did Mary understood about what was happening here? The Christmas song, Mary, Did You Know? I hate to ruin it for you, but she knew. Okay? The angel told her she experienced God living in her, was revealing things to her. She may have not knew, fully known it by the, you know, the magnitude of it all, but Mary knew in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, we hear that the angel was said that you could call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Mary was not really rejoicing that God was going to come and restore Israel out of poverty was rescuing Israel out of persecution to you know, rescue them from the Roman Empire, Mary knew that God was coming to save his people from their sins. That God was coming to save her from her sins. And you and I must understand that our greatest problem is not what's happening to us. Our greatest problem is not our spouse. It's not our kids. It's not our parents. It's not our coach. It's not the teacher. It's not some substance. It's not the culture. It's not someone in political power. It's not big pharma. Our greatest problem is ourselves what's inside of us. And so our salvation needs to come from within, for us, for me, for you. To look at God as my Lord and my Savior. So salvation is from God. It's all-encompassing. It's personal. And it's also what binds us together. It's what binds us together. This is commonality of spiritual experience. Again, you had Elizabeth, older in life, well-experienced, had seen many things, had suffered many things in life. And then Mary, 14, 16 years old, hasn't experienced as much as life as Elizabeth, and yet they come together and there's this bond 
not only just a bond of two women being pregnant, but two women experiencing something spiritual, something that God can do, bringing people together. And I think that the more you and I focus on our commonality in the Christ, the more connectedness that we have, the more that we are bound together. There's a lot of things that can separate us, a lot of differences among us. We all have different experiences in life, whether it's our background or what we do as a career or what we've experienced in life. But the truth is that through Christ, we all have commonality. And when we begin to focus on the things that divide us and separate us, I don't understand why they would do that. I don't really get that. I don't really like that. Then Satan begins to tear us apart rather than what binds us together. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for three months, stayed as long as she could because she just wanted to stay in that relationship, that commonality, what binds them together. So it's from God. It's all-encompassing. It's personal. It's what binds us together. And it's also what drives us to go. Salvation is what drives us to go. Mary had to know what Elizabeth had experienced. Mary wasn't running from a situation. Mary wasn't saying, I got to tell Joseph this really odd news, and I don't think he's going to take it well. I'm going to leave a note, and then I'm out of here, and I'm going to go visit my relative Elizabeth, and hopefully Joseph will you know, calm down, and then I'll go back to him in a few months. Mary was going somewhere. Mary was going to hear all about what God was doing within her relative, within her family. It's what drove her to go. And she went in a hurry. This was not common or normal or natural for a single person, let alone a woman, to travel 70 to 100 miles up on a hill country by themselves. It was dangerous. This would not happen in, in probably a single day. And so what would Mary, was she prepared to be able to do that? It seems as though she's alone. It doesn't seem like Joseph was with her. Joseph was a carpenter. He probably couldn't take that amount of time off. But yet she went in a dangerous situation. And the truth is that God often chooses someone not for ease or for comfort, but for someone who is willing to apply their whole heart, mind, and strength and heart to it, both for the joyous and for the hard task. Because they understood that it's for His glory, not for their glory. Often when God intervenes in a human life, it's often to shake things up, to destroy any human ideals of the good life, a good life that finds ultimate satisfaction, ultimate peace, ultimate unity in something that's not really true, that's not really satisfying. And God intervenes to shake that up so that we would experience what true joy, what true satisfaction, what real truth, what peace is found in the Creator, in God Himself. And sometimes He challenges us not to a life of ease and comfort, but to a life of struggle and hurt, and suffering, to work out 
those things that we need to have worked out. Think of Peter and Andrew and James and John who were fishermen. And Jesus comes along and says, follow me. And they completely left everything behind to become fishers of men. We see Stephen in, in the book of Acts who was a faithful man who proclaimed the good news of Jesus to a people who didn't want to hear it and ultimately led to his death. Following a life of Christ and doing what God wants us to do is not always a life of ease and comfort. But it's what drives us to go. It's what drives missionaries to go around the world and to go to hard places and do hard things alone. Alone. Salvation, it's from God, it's all-encompassing, it's personal, it's what binds us together, it's what drives us to go, and it's what fills our speech. Mary said, my soul praises the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Elizabeth shouted for joy. They didn't come together, and Mary's like, I got a secret to tell you. And Elizabeth's like, that's great, I got one too. Quick, let's close the door so no one hears us. What happened to you? They're loud. They're shouting it. My soul praises the greatness of the Lord. She's singing this. And I'm sure all the neighbors could hear, what is going on over there? It fills their speech, both their praise, as well as their appreciation for the servitude of others. Elizabeth, of course, filled with the Holy Spirit, was rejoicing in what God was doing through her, but also rejoicing in what God was doing through Mary. And we can look around and rejoice and appreciate how God is working through someone around us for us, for our benefit. Rejoice for those who are working in ministries. We rejoice for those who are up here leading us in worship with their skills and their abilities. Appreciating for those who are down in Kids Connect and teaching our kids. All sorts of things that we can appreciate one another. Proclaiming how good God is that God's using someone but it ought to fill our speech. And that's the challenge. Because what you are full of is what will come out of your mouth. Just think about what's coming out of your mouth. And we've all been there. There's times of selfishness and pride in which what comes out of our mouth is cursing and arguments and strife. It's not full of the Holy Spirit. What fills our speech should be praises to God, thankfulness to God, Scripture. And that comes because it's filling up our heart. And so it's all the more encouragement that we encourage you to read God's Word, to read it on a daily basis, to memorize it to put it within your heart so that what's in your heart will overflow out of your mouth. It matters what comes out of our mouth. It matters what we say. It matters what we sing. 
This is Mary's song. You and I can sometimes be amazed and say, I'm not very good at uh, memorizing scripture. Uh, I'm not a person that uh, likes to go to church and sing songs. And yet, sometimes it's the same people who can give you every stat from 1988 basketball team or baseball. You know, you have all of these things memorized. You know a lot of things about cars or cooking or whatever it may be. We can memorize lots of things, but when it comes to Scripture, oh, it's so difficult. Or we know a lot of songs. We know all of their lyrics. But when it comes to worship songs, maybe not so much. So the challenge is to fill your heart with more of the things of God so that the things that come out of it would be the things of God. So I think in the meaning of the mothers, we see that salvation, which they are proclaiming, which they understood, that it's, it's from God. It's all-encompassing. It's personal. It's what binds us together. It's what drives us to go. It's what fills our speech. That's the challenge for us to understand salvation. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. We're going to enter service in a song. We're going to invite the worship team to come up. But I really invite you during this time to think about what of these aspects of salvation are you missing? Are you understanding that it's personal and you've known that it's from God, but you haven't really applied your own personal life into recognizing that you're a sinner in need of a Savior? Or is it something that's God is speaking to you to go, to do something, and it's not really driving you to go. So let's just pray. God, there's a challenge in here, a phrase for sure. You are the mighty one. You've done a great work. You are doing something new, something amazing. We get to be a part of it Many, many years later, God, I pray that we would be amazed just as these women, Elizabeth and Mary, were amazed and excited and full of joy. It became their focus. It became their song. And we pray, God, that it would be our focus. It would be our song. It would be what really binds us together is what motivates us and drives us to do what we do every day, all week long. So in your son Jesus' name we pray.